You are listening to episode 30 of the Sunday Shakeout, featuring the first half of my guide on self-assessment for distance runners. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Sunday Shakeout. I am your host, Nicholas. This episode, as well as the next episode, features a practical talk on self-assessment for distance runners. I will be discussing why self-assessment is crucial for runners, what the nine pieces to self-assessment are, an explanation of those first four pieces, and more. The goal of this episode is to provide listeners, athletes, and especially coaches with practical insights on how they can self-assess or in terms of a coach, self-assess their athletes so that they can plan a well-thought-out season that is personalized for every runner so that they can race PRs and be free from injury and burnout. If you are new to the Sunday Shakeout, this show features guest interviews, training analysis and tips, gear reviews, and more with tips for beginning, intermediate, and advanced runners alike. Listeners will be provided with insightful information that will help them get faster, stay injury-free, and be happy. Before designing any training plan, you must ask yourself crucial questions to gather bits of information to make sure that you are designing a training plan that will maximize fitness gains, keep you healthy, and keep you happy. There are many different moving parts and pieces that should be a part of a training plan. The right way to apply them depends on your background, strengths, weaknesses, goals, and so on. Therefore, if you were to ask me to train you, I would send you a questionnaire and we would go from there with training. And if you are self-coached, it is crucial that you go through the self-assessment process effectively before you start planning workouts and mileage numbers. But how should runners go about that? I will answer, answer that question and so much more. So without further ado, please enjoy my first half of my guide to self-assessment for distance runners. I feel as if self-assessment is a very, not necessarily underrated topic for runners, because I think the idea of it sounds pretty good. Like, oh, okay, that sounds really good. I get to make a personalized training plan that will help me achieve my biggest goals rather than a one-size-fits-all approach. You know, that sounds good. Uh, But, you know, a lot of people, they just don't do it. And I feel like when you look up online about self-assessment for runners, you'll find a lot of stuff about strength, mobility, bounce, stability, and biomechanics, all of those different tests. And it really shows that there's not a lot out there for self-assessment from the distance running, the training perspective. And while all that stuff is very important, the strength, the mobility, the bounce, the stability, and biomechanics stuff, as well as other things, while all that stuff is very important and crucial, that way you can address biomechanical issues and you know act upon that stuff, that just isn't the full picture. While I do say that runners are athletes, or specifically athletes that specialize in running, I really do mean that, you know, we are runners. Even though we are athletes, we are runners. We specialize in running, and therefore we need to make sure that our training plan properly addresses running. And if we don't get the running piece down, everything else goes down the drain because after all, 
No amount of strength, mobility, and stability work will ever fix poor training, no matter if you have an A-plus plan for strength and corrective exercises. So I just want you all to know that. Now let's get into the nine factors that you must look out uh, for, for self-assessment. The first one is recent training, and you know we'll go all through all of these in a bit. I'll be going through the first four in this episode. So we got recent training, age, training age, past races, your history of injuries, your strengths and weaknesses, and ideally strengths and weaknesses uh, applies to the specific race that you were training for, as well as long-term goals, your recovery profile, so how well you recover and what things impact recovery, and then you have your long-term goals. Now, roughly, this is the order in which you must consider the things for your training design. They These things are listed in order of their weightiness. Obviously, if there's a problem if you don't know your recent training you've been doing, but you know your recovery profile, and that's why they are in the, in the order they are in. So obviously, today we are going to be going over the first four of these factors, recent training, age, training age, past races, and yeah, let's just get into it. So let's start with recent training. The training that you have been doing over the past two years, specifically the last six to 12 months, is the foundation for the training that you will do in the next training cycle. Now, there are many possible training errors that you could have made in your recent training that you should address when you're planning your next cycle. This is one of the reasons why keeping a training log is so crucial. Documenting both the subjective and the objective information about training is crucial to identify training errors what caused injuries or overtraining, and what you can approve upon. And if you have a training log, you can look back and say, oh, that really worked for me. Maybe I should incorporate that next cycle. Oh, that did not work for me. Oh, I won't incorporate that. So it's crucial that you document these things because it'll really help in the self-assessment process. Now, there are three main issues that I commonly see among runners' training plans. The first one is inadequate mileage. The second one being lack of balance and specifically in training. And the third one is inadequate periodization that bit brings safely brings you to race specific workouts. And additionally, we want a lot, or not a lot, but enough race specific workouts. Not too much, but not too little. And this depends on a few things. But let's go over error one, which is inadequate mileage. It is likely that in order to improve in the next training cycle as, as quickly as possible, you will need to increase mileage levels unless you've recognized that you ran too much mileage last training cycle and you therefore got overtrained and or injured. Let's go over example number one and I'll kind of just show you like what I mean by why maybe you shouldn't increase mileage. So example number one, you jumped from 25 miles per week up to 50 miles per week on average in one training cycle. Let's say it was 12 to 16 weeks, so not like super long, and you got injured. You got injured, likely, or I'll just say here that you got injured because mileage levels were built up way too high than you were comfortable with. So next training cycle, since you basically doubled your mileage and it was like pretty uncomfortable, like if you double your mileage levels, you can pretty much expect to get injured unless it was a very, very long training cycle. So this training cycle, I would suggest that you shouldn't even attempt to go up to 50, 50 miles per week since that progression is too high, too high of a jump Instead, maybe try going 35 to 40 miles a week on average and working up from there, maybe even down to 30. Having a long-term outlook where you slowly build over a period of time is really going to help you by helping you maximize long-term performance, consistency, and longevity. 
Just this past week, after breaking the two-mile world record, Yakubinga Brakeson was being real, and he said that one of the biggest, or sorry, I quote, one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people go is that they go too hard in training, and that's basically because of their mentality, end quote. So obviously, going too hard in training is a big mistake. So that's the first example in which you wouldn't want to increase mileage um, than your last training cycle if you got injured. Now, let's talk about example number two. You jumped from 40 to 45 miles per week to 50 miles per week in one cycle, and you either got injured or you experienced symptoms of overtraining syndrome. Now, this was a pretty modest increase of mileage. 45, 40 to 45 miles up to 50 miles that's only a slight increase of 5 to 10 miles in one training cycle, and for a beginner, it should be quite doable. In this case, we're not, not the mileage figure, but like the overall increases in mileage. That should be pretty doable. In this case, I would su suggest maybe seeing what else you did in training that could have caused your injury or whatever problem you had. If you can address the other issues and potentially plan and execute the training better, you might be able to hit a 50 mile per week average safely in your next training cycle. However, I would suggest to be more cautious and again, have a long-term outlook. Be diligent in the things that surround your running. That way you can actually hit the mileage levels and plan properly. In fact, I love runners tracking monthly and annual mileage so that they do have a long-term outlook like I just talked about. So that way they don't fret over individual weeks and instead they focus on long-term development. If you feel great at 50 miles per week once, you have a structured training proper training plan, then I would suggest keeping it there. Again, as Inga Brixen says, many people go too hard in training and get injured. The goal of training isn't to train until we get injured. So if you get up to 50 miles per week in this training cycle after you got injured in the last, I think that's just, you, you've hit the goal, good. Next training cycle, you can maybe go up a little higher, but we don't wanna get injured doing silly things like increasing mileage when we've already hit a mileage PR. That's just silly. Whatever the case may be, you never want to increase mileage too drastically, otherwise that will cause you to get injured. So if you want to learn more about a productive way to increase mileage than the 10% rule, you can check out episode 28 of the Sunday Shakeout, yeah I believe it's 28, where I talk all about baseline mileage. But aside from the injury standpoint and, you know, assuming you were healthy last training cycle, then maybe in this training cycle, if you're ready and willing to train harder, then you can plan to increase mileage by around five to 10 miles. It, I mean, it's totally personal. Some people can handle like 15 and 20. It totally just depends on who you are. But for me, I go around five to 10 miles if I'm increasing mileage from training cycle to training cycle. Again, we wanna be improving for years and decades. We're not trying to get better for two years and then have chronic injuries and burnout. However, while I do all save this stuff about, oh, you need to increase mileage, don't feel obliged to increase mileage if you are unable or unwilling to devote more time to training. Most people, including myself, make training errors, therefore there are other ways to improve the runner than simply increasing weekly mileage, so keep that in mind. However, as a general rule, if you want to increase your endurance, which is the cornerstone of all distance running, then I would suggest increasing mileage and that will help you reach your full potential. Now, I, the second error I see when planning training or when looking at past training is that many athletes see that they have a lack of balance in their training. In addition to the volume of training you've done, in other words, the mileage, you must also consider the types of training you've done recently. And one of the best things that you can do both as an athlete and you as a coach is to create more balance in the training. 
The elements of a well-balanced program from the running perspective are easy runs, long runs, strides, and perhaps hill strides or hill sprints, aerobic workouts, threshold workouts, speed and specific endurance intervals, or what I like to call race-specific intervals, as well as drills. Each of these elements must be included in your training plan to some degree or another. If any were absent from your last training plan, you must add them. Of course, you should not try to achieve perfection or have a perfectionist mindset when it comes to the balance of all these elements of your, in your training, because some should be more present than others due to basic training principles, but also your goals and other factors. And as the training cycle progresses, you should also move away from the extremes to race specificity. Most runners lack balance in their training, including myself, so it is crucial that you recognize it. And, you know, lack of balance might be from doing too much of one type of training. Maybe you overemphasize something, like threshold, and you might want to de-emphasize it. Often runners do the same workout over and over again, training cycle after training cycle. And, you know, in this case, I would not hesitate to change it up, because the training stimulus is likely too familiar to trigger further improvements. So also look out for, yeah, just doing the workout over and over again, and don't be afraid to change it up, even if it might be scary. Also look at the runs and workouts that you don't seem to be getting the much, uh, the same benefit they used to out of. And you know, this might also be because you've overemphasized that type of workout. Maybe you are a veteran marathoner who loves hitting their 22 mile long runs, but you just don't feel as if they give you a, as good of a stimulus as they used to. The next training cycle, maybe you should reduce the number of easy long runs you do and add in some moderately paced long runs at faster speeds to stimulate new adaptations, even if some of these long runs are now only 18 to 20 miles. So that might really help. It will provide a new stimulus and it will keep you fit. Now the third training error that I see, and I'm going to keep this one pretty brief, that I see a lot of runners make and also that many runners might want to assess themselves on is lack of race-specific workouts. As you progress in your running career, it is no secret that you will have to increase the number of race-specific workouts that you do. And this is because we stop responding as greatly to general training as we become increasingly, as we become increasingly capable to handle and adapt to greater amounts of specific training. Unless race-based work was overemphasized last training cycle, I think it would be best to gently increase the amount of specific work that you do in the next training cycle, especially for marathoners and half marathons. This will keep you sharp as your aerobic fitness will have been built to a certain degree by the time you get later and later in your career. And in order to keep doing PRs and racing PRs, then you have to do a lot more race specific training. Now, the second thing that I think all runners should assess themselves on is their training age. Now, this is simply the overall amount of experience or your training age that you have. And, you know, in the nature, in that nature of experience is going to greatly influence the way you structure your next training cycle. Beginning runners should focus on building a solid foundation for their future development as runners by focusing on the extremes. They should be heavily focusing on building their aerobic metabolism at its most basic level doing lots of long, slow, easy miles. They should also be heavily focusing on building their neuromuscular fitness with very short, very quick intervals at a fast pace on hills or at the track, so like, like 200 meter intervals. 
This also includes strides, hill strides, and hill sprints after an easy run, or, you know, before a hard workout if you do choose to do one. This isn't to say that you shouldn't do stuff in the middle or race-specific workouts, because I think that it's valuable for newer runners to dip their toes in the water with this kind of work. I think that they should be doing aerobic workouts, um, even if they're not that hard, and I do think that they should be doing a little bit of race pace work as you get farther into the season so that they can sharpen and start to get their toes into the water for this kind of work. However, the tough gut-busting workouts that you see a lot of these pro runners do are simply not the emphasis of beginning runners. Now, the training approach that will develop the fitness of a beginning runner as rapidly as any alternative you know, this training approach that, you know, like you focus on building a foundation, it's going to build your fitness rapid, more rapidly than any other training approach. Um, and it will safely lay the foundation for the rest of their running career. And as the seasons and years go by in your career, assuming that you have appropriate training, your training should evolve first by adding layer upon layer to this foundation, if you want to call it that. You want to increase mileage, include more challenging aerobic workouts, include longer and faster long runs. As these types of training start to reach a point of diminishing returns, which we will talk about in a future episode, then you can gradually shift your focus to race-specific workouts for your goal events. This philosophy isn't just for the run training, it also has to do with more advanced types of strength training and doing longer races as you get more experience. If you can properly progress your running career, your first marathon might actually be a sub three because you took years and years be before you, you uh, sorry, before to build the foundation before you dabbled in the marathon. You were ready for. We will make an entire episode on training age and its application, not just in training, but also in the strength training and the racing. But in short, if you can lay the foundation right now as a beginning runner in the first three to four years of your training cycle or of your of your running career, then you will be able to do much better things later in your career. You'll be able to progress a lot further, stay injury free and be happy. That's the big thing. So the longer you pursue the sport at a competitive level, the more your training mix should move away from general training and onto more race specific training and optimal aerobic workouts. For people under three to four years of experience, I'd say that the main goal is we have to gradually increase your easy mileage volume as well as your long run distance. You have to start including strides, hill sprints, and hill strides. That should be a good focus. Work on hills. I think that hills is a skill that a lot of runners probably should be working on, but they just can't. Or not can't, but they aren't. Some people can't, but here in Seattle, we can. Um, also, I think beginning runners would make great use of fartleks and short intervals. Uh, easy aerobic workouts like you know easy marathon paced easy threshold type stuff and minim we also want to be minimizing the amount of race specific workouts that beginner runners do we just want to do enough just to sharpen up for our races now what if you're an intermediate runner maybe you're a runner who has four to seven years of experience then you want to continue building your volume you want to make your long runs faster and maybe you start to dabble in some really hard threshold stuff. Maybe the threshold stuff is longer. Maybe it's a little faster. So maybe you worked at high end or low end at threshold. Now you might work on the higher end. Um, you also want to do tougher speed workouts. Speed workouts that maybe longer intervals. Maybe start doing some VO2 max stuff. Maybe that'll help. 
Um, and you also want to gradually increase the amount of race-specific workouts that you do. That way you can sharpen up for races as this general training starts to become less and less effective. Now, what about if you're an advanced runner? Maybe you're a runner with eight or more years of experience. At this point, you should get up into mileage levels that are pretty high. Include hard long runs more frequently. Make threshold challenging and longer. And increasingly emphasize the race pace work. So as you can see, as you progress in your running career, you start to, if you're, if we use a dog metaphor, you start to let the dog off the leash a little bit more and you let it, you, you know, you let, you let yourself train a little harder and a little harder or in the context of a coach, you let your athletes train harder and harder and you may, you let them do more advanced stuff as the years go on, but we have to have that patience and that is what will um, help with proper progression and overall a better running career, one filled with more longevity. Now, the third aspect of self-assessment that I want to talk about is age, your general age. How old are you? Yeah, the age of a runner will often tell the story for their training age. So you likely won't find a veteran 11-year-old runner, except for Jakob Ingebrigtsen when he was 11. <laughs> Likewise, most runners in their 40s and 50s likely have had a lot of miles underneath their belt. Even though I say this, age is still a pretty important factor when planning a season. Runners in their late teens and early 20s have a lot more room for error in their training. Most types of training that don't injure them or result in overtraining will improve their fitness and performance. Of course, that doesn't mean that they just get a free pass to do whatever they want, but it does mean that young runners are typically able to get training adaptations from less specific training and training that most people just throw out the window but younger runners should still train as appropriately as possible. And due to their ability to recover well, young runners, they can afford to go a little faster on their easy days than they should every once in a while. Um, they can afford to do this a lot more than most adult or older, more experienced runners can. However, this doesn't mean that young runners can expect to train as hard in their key workouts as more experienced runners in their late teens and their early 40s, or sorry, early 30s. And as shown earlier, it takes many years before runners can get to the point where they can tackle super tough workouts. It's okay to test yourself every once in a while. Let the dog off a leash every once in a while in your training while you are young, but hold back in planning these sessions because like I always preach, consistency and longevity is key. If you get injured doing a workout that you didn't need to be doing, then that's pretty bad. So take the long view and be patient because if you hold back right now, you will be able to do harder training later on. Now, the period in a runner's career between their late 20s and their early 30s is another big stage in the developmental process. This is the sweet spot. This is where the often runners get the most freedom and it therefore requires a slightly different approach to their training. At this time, your ability to recover and adapt to hard training, it's starting to de decrease a little bit. So you must take your easy days easy so that you can recover from your harder workouts and ready to be ready to do your next one. However, now that you have reached this stage of your running career, that means you can also handle harder work. <laughs> Sorry, I had a little spitball here. <laughs> there. However, now that you have reached this stage of your running career, this means that you can also handle harder workouts than you could when you were younger. This is because your body has dramatically changed in response to all of the past training that you have done. Your musculoskeletal system is far better designed to handle harder training than when you were younger. 
Now, the period between 40 and 45 is a dreaded period that a lot of runners have to face. Actually, every runner, because Father Time always wins. Um, don't count on beating Father Time anytime soon, because Father Time will win, I guess. I don't know how to phrase that. <laughs> but once you start getting your 40s, that's considered being a master's runner. And in this stage, it becomes even more important to get the most bang for your buck when it comes to workouts and to eliminate as much waste as possible from your training. The majority of your key workouts should probably pr be pretty challenging and specific because again, we want to be getting the most bang for our buck. In general training, while it still has its place in the training plan for masters runners, it is not as important as it once was. Your body has adapted to some many different training stimuli over so many years that there are few remaining stimuli that are capable of giving you new adaptations, so you have to choose carefully. However, even though you have to be more selective with the types of training that you do, your years of training and racing have taught you many things about yourself as an athlete. This knowledge becomes extremely valuable and it helps you select the right modifications to your training so that you can stay healthy and keep training strong and racing strong. Masters runners likely will also need to decrease the amount of volume that they are doing. Accumulating wear and tear on the body is just not worth worth the basic aerobic gains. Doing the same high mileage numbers that you were doing in your late 20s will lead to injury and will decrease your longevity in the sport. Masters runners also need to be careful with the amount of speed work that they are doing. Now I'm not talking pure sprinting, which you know that can cause a, uh, you to pull a hammy, but I'm talking 800 meter to 5k pace work. The muscles and connective tissues lose elasticity by the time runners get into their 40s, and this makes them susceptible for injury and strain during high-intensity running, and so as master runners, you should only do as much speed work as you can handle safely, and of course, you'd want to make this amount relevant to the race that you are training for. Be prepared that you might not be able to handle as much as you used to when it comes to speed work. However, adjusting speed work as you get older doesn't necessarily mean cutting it out or doing drastically less. You can transition some of the speed work that you would traditionally do on the track to the hills. Because hills reduce impact force on the musculoskeletal system, which will decrease the strain it puts on the muscles and tendons. So we've learned all about age, we've learned all about training age, and we learned all about recent training. The last thing I want to discuss in this episode is your past races. Your past races provide valuable information that you can use to guide your future training. Look at the training that you did for the best races you have had. Identify those aspects of your training that were most responsible for your, your success in these events and incorporate them in future events. This is why, again, having a training log is super helpful. That way, you can identify these aspects of your training. You can go back and reflect and find what worked for you and toss out what didn't work. That way, you can race faster and ultimately train harder. Or not train harder, but train better. Ask yourself when you're doing this reflection, what was the difference between the training that preceded my best races and the training that preceded my less satisfying race performances? Were you running more mileage? Were you prioritizing get, getting more recovery between your harder efforts? Were you doing a better job of staying injury-free? Whatever pattern you identify being most responsible for your greatest successes, be sure to include them in your next training plan, even if you are planning on racing a different distance. Assuming that you even have a modest amount of experience with racing, your best race performances will pro provide you a good indication of the general training patterns in which you respond best to. Now, I want to go into something here, and I want to just talk about 
how there's little difference between the type of fitness that is needed to run your best 5k versus the type that is needed to run your best marathon or anything in between. If you're in shape to run your best time at any distance between those 5k and the marathon, you won't be far off the optimal uh, shape for any other distance within that realm. So while preparing for a race of any distance within that realm, you really can't go wrong by relying on training practices that are proven to prepare you optimally for any other distance. The only thing that you need to do is structure the training differently based on the race distances you are training for. Reuse general training patterns that seem to have worked well for you in past training cycles. Of course, if you have limited past race, uh, past post past race experience, you will be limited by your ability to use these competitive performances to identify the types of training to uh, which you respond best. After you complete a training cycle that has culminated in a peak race, you will have more material to use to determine which training patterns work best for you. For now though, if you don't have any past races, simply use my other methods of self-assessment that I've talked about. Also, if you want to hear more of my other five methods of self-assessment, um, ways to question yourself and assess yourself, that way you can train properly in your next cycle, stay tuned for episode 31 of the Sunday Shakeout where I give you the complete picture. Thank you for listening to episode 30 of the Sunday Shakeout. This episode, I hope, is very insightful to all levels of runners, whether you are a beginner, intermediate, or advanced runner. I will. I realize that this episode didn't have much about strength, mobility, balance, stability, and all of that good stuff. It was talking all about the running training, so I do realize that, and I will make an episode all about strength testing for runners and mobility and soft tissue work, corrective exercises, that sort of thing. Again, if I do that episode, though, I will have to warn you that I am not a medical professional and I'm not trying to be a doctor on this podcast, so don't expect a whole bunch of life-saving tips, alright? Just want to get that out of the way. If you enjoyed this episode of the Sunday Shake-Up, please consider following to or subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I would also greatly appreciate a review in Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere you find your podcasts. Uh, If you have any questions regarding anything running, please feel feel free to reach out at thesundayshakeout at gmail.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Now, um, also, participate in the polls down below. You can tell me what you thought of this episode and this will help give me future insights and what uh, I can make as a content creator to help the general running community. And I just also want to know what you guys are interested in um, because, you know, it's also good to connect with fellow runners even if I, you know, never see you, which, yeah, that's, yeah, never gonna happen, (laughs) um, but I hope you all really enjoy your day, again, thank you so much to all my listeners for all the support, I chose this episode idea based off of a poll that came a couple weeks ago, um, I made a whole bunch of ideas, weightlifting for runners came first, which I talked about last week, and then this week, I'm talking about self-assessment, which you, I think, was second in that poll, so this is all great, Next week, we'll be going part two into that episode, but for now, I hope you all enjoy some of these tips that I have for you today, and I hope this helps you uh, prepare for your next training cycle, whether you are planning a fall marathon and you want to plan a cycle, or you're doing cross-country in the fall and you're doing some summer some summer uh, training. So, yeah, best of luck to all of you. I hope you all have a great day, and peace out. This is the Sunday Shakeout.